is Dawn Schuler, Certified Trainer and Business Consultant at the Schuler Group with the When People Thrive, Companies Thrive podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have on the show Doug Brown, who is the CEO of Business Success Factors, international best-selling author of the book Win-Win Selling, Unlocking Your Power for Profitability by Resolving Objections, and a nationally recognized sales revenue growth expert and consultant. Doug, welcome to the show. Don, thanks for having me here. I'm really happy to be here today. Thank you again for, for your time. I was um, really intrigued when I was reading your information. Of course, one of the first things that struck that uh, stuck out at me on your website is that you started the family business. You started working in the family business when you were three. I'd like to yes. know exactly what you were doing at three years old because you know I missed the boat. I, my girls are 24 and 22. It's like, darn, what did I miss? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I don't know if it was my father needed low cost labor um, or free labor, or he was trying to teach us something. He, he passed before I got a chance to ask him that question, but I did start working at the age of three and I was sweeping floors. So I started at the, at the very bottom, I guess, of what a three-year-old could do. You know, I had a tiny broom and I would, I would uh, go around and pretty much all day, just sweep floors um, because he had a, he had an electric motor machinery repair company. So there was always stuff on the floors. So uh, I would go around and do that. And then by the time I was about, I'd say five and a half, six, he would start bringing us out in front of clients and we would talk and we would help write orders and we were learning the business. So, and uh, you know, and I made uh, at three years old, I made 25 cents a week. um but uh you know back then though i mean you could buy a lot of candy for for 25 cents so that was kind of uh my treat at the end of the week and you know my friends and i would uh indulge ourselves in, in candy and as i started going along and we started selling what i really loved about that is i got to figure out okay we paid for this this amount of money we sold it for that ow okay, this is what we made off of this. So I started seeing leverage early on. Um, and again, I don't know if this was by design. I'm glad my dad did it. Uh, I worked with him for my first almost 19 years of my life. I had some side businesses, but we, uh, you know, uh, until I went into the military and, uh, you know, at one point I was running his company when I was in, you know, my teenage years, cause my dad had a heart attack and, um, and I had to take over and, all of this was really good, good, really good business experience. And, you know, your, your bio is pretty, uh, is pretty impressive, especially with some of the work that you've done in, in the sales arena. Uh, I believe I saw something like increasing sales revenue or the close rate, 864% for one of your, your clients and raising revenues 114% within four months. And also that uh, you you started and run over 35 companies. Did I read that correctly? You did. Um, I was one of those younger serial entrepreneurs who was trying to find where he was supposed to be. Always thinking, you know, geez, I got to go the traditional route of getting a college degree and getting a job and all that. But I always had side businesses or uh, it got to a point where it was like, this is my mainstay. So yeah, I have, I have been involved in 35 different businesses. Not all did really well. Um, so I learned some things from there. 
Uh, some broke even and some actually made me quite a bit of money. So that was uh, fun. So tell me what you're doing now. So I do, I do two things right now. One, I help companies, primarily companies who have existing sales teams, go back and look at what they have, assess what they have, and then figure out, okay, how do you grow from this? So what are the blind spots? What are the optimization points? How do we grow? That's how I first start out. Um, and a lot of times it's they don't have a systematic hiring process for hiring top producers. They are lacking you know, sales process. Uh, their messaging internally is very, uh, I'll say poor. Right? So, so, you know, you've got one team member doing great and four not doing great and five trying to figure it out. Right. And, but they don't have a very uh, systematic company sales process. So I go in and I help them uh, straighten all that out. And then I find these points of optimization and revenue growth. And, you know, a lot of companies are missing the obvious. I just had one, for example, they had three salespeople. I was talking with them and I discovered quickly, like they don't have a referral process going on in their company. And so I told the CEO and he said, geez, well, we'll get on that. And they did. And in the first week, the three salespeople generated 21 referrals. So it's, it's a matter of having systematic strategic processes throughout an organization and having preventative and or contingent uh, measures as well. And a lot of companies, you know, they just, they're so busy working in the business, they don't have the, the time to take it and step back and say, okay, if we worked on the business, uh, what, what should we have to uh, keep growing, not only for today, but for the long term? Great, great. So I think you said you do two different things. So one is you help companies with their existing sales teams. Yep. And, um, and part of that is sales training as well. A lot of times I get, you know, it always comes back to skill sets. <laughs> so it's usually people process and, you know, skill sets. Um, and what spun out of that was I had a lot of consultants and a lot of coaches coming towards me saying, man, how are you getting, because for some of our clients, we're getting 54% close rates. You know, how are you doing this? And so I would teach them what I was doing and that kind of spawned on to, okay, I actually have something here. Why don't I start a training business uh, teaching people who are selling in any capacity, you know, the companies who are, you know, don't have 10 salespeople or more, you know, how, how do you increase your revenues the same way? So I started teaching something what I call conversational uh, conversion. And, uh, and I developed this uh, sales revenue growth university around this whole process. And so that's what I do. And people get amazing results. And it really, um, I, I love working with the companies because they get good results. But, you know, when you work with a really like a multi-billion dollar company, they get results, but forget about you tomorrow um, <laughs> right, until they have the next problem. Uh, and that's okay. You know, they're busy. Uh, but a lot of times the, uh, what I found working with the coaches, consultants, salespeople and things of that nature is it makes a major impact in their personal life, not just the corporate life. Um, yeah. Like I can give you an example of kind of an extreme one. I had a sales guy, he was selling for a company. He was making $140,000 a year. Uh, and he went from 140,000 uh, a year to 2.1 million 
uh, in commissions in 12 months. So radically changed his world. He decided to get married, had a child, um, you know, all kinds of things. So it was very gratifying um, because he wouldn't have made that move without having the ability to do it financially. Because especially for men, when they're younger, they always think they got to have it all planned out, you know, for the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I love doing that as well. And those are the two things I primarily do. Well, it sounds like your, uh, your, your experience starting when you were three really set you up well to, uh, to be able to do that. And I know that, um, you know, you've talked about, it's funny, you talk about people processes and skill set. And in our company, we talk about people processes and performance, um, but we, we do it from you know, more the internal, not, you know, uh, concentrating on the sales aspect like you do. So I just find it interesting that, you know, our world, we're, we're using a very similar framework, although we're applying it, you know, a little differently. Um, but I know that that part of the people and you've talked about, you know, building the ideal team. And I'd really like to talk about that today, especially for our listeners, because that people part is so important. So let's let's go there and talk about building the ideal team. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people where they make the mistake is they, they think, OK, we got a great product you know, and that's going to sell itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that, you know, the first thing that I tend to work on with companies is process, right? Because if I can get a process going, you know, think of any successful duplicatable business. McDonald's is, you know, one that always comes to mind, right? I mean, they have teenagers running the company and, you know, teenagers aren't always hyper-focused on, uh, on business growth. They're usually focused on, oh, she looks good, he looks good, whatever, right? And so, but they have such a highly defined process and a highly defined training process that they can uh, run the company that way. So once we get process going, then the next step is that the, the, the people, which we assess first, because we wanna make sure that they're not an impedance to the process, um, but then it's about building that ideal team out. So the existing team members potentially could be there or what we need to add. But what people don't look at when they're, um, they're, they're in a very, most of them are in way too much of a, in my opinion, uh, of a rush to hire somebody to fill a spot versus filling that spot with the ideal candidate that will stay long-term. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we want to be in a say and I'll, I'll stay in the sales context in a sales churn and burn environment, it's fine. You know, the salespeople come in, come out. You know, I mean, companies tend to lose about 20 percent of salespeople a year. Um, if they're doing things right, they tend to lose more if they're not doing things right. But that cost of turnover is not just in a financial loss of lost revenues, lost customers, lost goodwill. It also disrupts the internal organization in a big way. Um, and so having that ideal team, I mean, if we look at any sporting team, uh, you know, uh, my, I love the Boston Bruins. They're my favorite hockey team. And, uh, you know, this year they lost in the second round to the, the, the Islanders, the New York Islanders. And uh, they lost, in my opinion, because they didn't have a cohesive team uh, playing at the same level. And, you know, I mean, they had some injuries that knocked out a few members, but the bottom line is that most organizations are the same way. 
if you can get a synergistic team working, you get that power of what Napoleon Hill called the mastermind. And then people, you know, Sun Tzu in the art of war says that the spirits of the same rank walking in the same direction, right? Magical things seem to happen when we build the ideal team. You know, a lot of the internal headaches and you were talking about performance uh, just earlier. So the internal headaches on performance, there's less HR issues, there's less people issues in general, people are more productive, they're happier. Um, you know, and generally everybody makes more money, which isn't the primary motivator anymore for most people, even in sales, you know, life satisfaction is. Do you find um, that, like you said, the, you know, in companies, organizations, they're so busy in the business, not really looking at, you know, bigger picture, working on the business. Do you find that, because to, you and me, it makes perfect sense, right? You have that ideal right. team, you're going to increase productivity, employee satisfaction, which actually then also affects customer satisfaction, all of these things. And, um, but do you find that the companies for some reason don't focus on that? Yeah, um, a lot of times. And the reason behind that is because they're looking at top line numbers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look at and say, let's say we're doing $20 million today, and we're netting out 15%, we've got a net, you know, three, 3 million a year. That's acceptable. But how do you know that's not supposed to be 5 million a year? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So um, is it acceptable now? <laughs> if, if you know you can potentially do five or more. So a lot of times companies, you know, and owners or CEOs of companies, they have a lot on their plate. And they have a lot of responsibility and they're generally looking at profit, right? How do we generate profit? Our vice president of sales and the sales officers, those are usually focused on generating revenue. But even if those two aren't on the same page, it's gonna infiltrate through the whole organization. So if, if we're focused on, for example, I see companies do this revenue, 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 revenue. Well, they go in and they'll discount, 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 discount. Well, you know, a 10% discount, you got to sell what, 33% more to make up for the 10% loss that you're, you're doing. So you pro- the profitability gets shrunk. So when there's not a focus on the, the, the whole concept of what we're talking about, um, companies just kind of take their eye off the ball. And then they get to a place where they're, the CEO is thinking, you know, she or he is, or they are frustrated and saying, you know, I know we can do better with my, our sales growth, but I, I know why, or I don't know why, or, you know, my sales team, you know, that's the, that's the big one I run into all the time. A lot of people are like my sales team is terrible. <laughs> and then I start looking at it and I go, okay, are they really terrible? We can assess that. Right. Or are you trying to hire a players into your company, but you're really a B or C player company mm-hmm. and they're coming in and they can't, they can't figure out what to do because you know they're making it up on their own because there's no A player game. Again, you go back to pro sports, you know, it's it's a difference playing between the National Hockey League and playing on, you know, even a, a college league. It, the game's faster, the people hit harder, and uh, there's a lot of things that happen. There's no cages on the masks, you know, <laughs> to protect mm-hmm. the face. So there's a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, I find companies all the time take their, their eye off it because they're so focused working in it that they're, 
they're not able to step back strategically. Do you find that you have any common, um, like you talked about the A player, we, we use that term as well. Do you have any common A player characteristics? In sales? Uh, it, 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 you know, which I primarily focus on like sales, sales management, and sometimes executive management. But yes, I do. I mean, look, the, the bottom line of all salespeople is they have to have the DNA to have the will to sell. You know, they have to be able to push through the barriers that are going to come up because they're dealing with people and business is so easy if we remove the people. As soon as we put that in there, we have all of these complexities that come up due to emotional whatever. And so, you know, will to sell is, is a primary consideration for any, any salesperson. Um, but when you look at an A player, an A player in one company coming to another company, even if, even if they were an A player in that company, do they actually have what it takes to be an A player in the new company? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've seen it happen so many times where somebody, uh, well, my client right now is doing this. Uh, you know, they, they went out and hired three people, all with industry experience and the highest producers producing at 30% of quota right now. Right. And they had success at their past company. But when they came to this company, even though it's a similar industry, it's a very different technology they're selling and they're struggling with it. So that's why he called me in and to do the assessment. And this is what I discovered. So now we're going to be fixing that problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But part of that problem is going to probably be removing one or two of those people. Right. And filling them with the right people. So but again, got to look at cost of turnover. Right. So it's 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 a matter of really defining it up front. What do you actually want the A player to be and how are we supposed to be an A playing company so that that A player can actually, you know, really do well? I, I, again, I go back to sports a lot, but, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, who played for the New England Patriots under Tom Brady, was the backup quarterback and we always thought he was great and he would do pretty well, but then uh, he wasn't getting the playing time or the exposure. So he ended up going to the San Francisco team and they went to the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, you had an A player in an organization that wasn't allowing him to be the A player. So as soon as he was then put into a place where he could prove himself as the A player and he had the right A player atmosphere, bam, uh, the whole team turned around and, you know, they went from, you know, ticket sales being what they were to, oh my gosh, we got to buy tickets to go to the game, right? So that's what happens when people align the two of them. It was so funny you said that. I was just thinking, I was going to follow up with with that comment that you're talking about aligning, right? That that an A player in one organization isn't necessarily an A player in another organization and you have to align those. And um, you know, I know that this is, you know, some deep work that you do with your clients, but I, I am fascinated by that, by that concept. So can you say a little bit more about that? Or can we go, go in that direction of that <laughs> sure. alignment piece without, you know, I know you can't spend two hours as if I were a client, uh, but perhaps. No, but I, I, yeah, I mean, look, the first thing that, so the, the answer is yes, I'll go in any direction you want to go. That'll help your listeners, Don. So um the first thing to do is get truthful about what we want to accomplish. Now, I'm not talking honest. I'm talking truthful. 
if we want a 20% increase in our revenues in the next 12 months, are we truthfully prepared to do what's needed to get to that particular growth level? Because a lot of people will say, you know, um, especially salespeople, they, they, it's always first pin is 100,000, 250, 500, then a million. And I go to them, well, you want a million. If you made 780,000, would that be acceptable? Oh yeah, yeah, that would be acceptable too, right? So no, that's not truthful, that's honest. The person thinks they're being honest, but they're not being truthful. So we get brutally truthful with what is the, what is the goals that, that need to be achieved. Then what we have to do is we look at and we say, okay, what do we have today? Because we can position in a certain way but we might have to align in a different way. It's like the market will determine what they're going to buy. You know, Steve Jobs might be the exception to this rule, but for the most of the other people in the world, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, I'm sure with Amazon had to adjust to the market, right? He was a book selling company originally, but then he moved into everything and now he's into world, you know, domination, right? <laughs> so, but we can position a certain way. And this is where companies make a mistake. They're positioned and they say, this is what we stand for. Here's our company mission. Here's this. Everybody's going to want that. <clears throat> and, but then when they get into the real world of people, they find out, man, we got to adjust. We got to align. So we get very truthful. We assess where they are. We figure out, okay, what's working, what's not working, what's missing, what's there that should be optimized. And then we build a plan off of that. Now, when we build a plan off of that, that also can be how are we going to attract our top sales talent like this, right? Because, you know, there are certain companies, for example, that they're having challenges, but they can still hire 10, you know, A-player people if they need to. They can hire them, they can afford them, but they know their internal processes are not set up appropriately and it's going to take six months to get it to that place. Well, great. You tell the A player that up front, right? This is how you align with the A player. You give them the truthful representation. Listen, you're going to come here. You're not going to find what you need. You're going to be, you know, running around a little bit, but, you know, but we're straightening this out. Is that acceptable? Yes, it is. Now, when the A player company hires the A player, the A player goes, this is what was promised. And I know even when I was working sales jobs, I would go into companies and they would, they would tell me, oh, geez, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do this. And I'd be like, okay, no problem. I'd come in there. I'd start doing that. And I, you know, I'd, I'd hit them with six, seven, eight orders in the first week. And they'd be like, oh, well, we can't handle this operationally. <laughs> <laughs> and so what would end up happening is I'd be like, listen, this is my reputation. This is me, you know. And I'd end up leaving the company because I truly, not to be braggadocious or arrogant, but I've always been number one or number two in every company I've ever worked for in sales. And so in most cases, people would consider that an A player. Um, and, and so A players need A player environments, but they need to know what the environment is if it's not. And that's where the alignment comes in. So what we do is we align up everything after we understand and we build the growth plan out, we align up the things that need to happen. What is the messaging that needs to be unified? Because if we have four different messages going out and then two sales engineers handling four different messages, 
Well, guess what? When it comes to the sales engineer and it came from salesperson one, it, the client's going down one path. When it came from salesperson number three, clients uh, like, no, 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 you know, no, no, I'm not going down this path. So it creates a lot of tension internally. So the external communications and the internal communications have to be unified as well and aligned. So the next question that comes to mind, and I like how you differentiate between truthful and honest, is that a company probably needs to be very truthful and maybe, you know, do that honest uh, um, internal, whatever you want to call it, discovery of, okay, what's the level of organization? Are we an A player company? Are we a B player? Are we a C player? And so um, if that CEO president owner is going to be, you know, very truthful, what are some questions that they can ask to help them determine at what level they're playing? Yeah, I mean, the first thing to ask them is that are they committed to the growth no matter what, right? And a lot of people go, well, that's kind of an open question, but then you break it down. Okay, are we willing to, if we don't have budget, willing to go get it? (laughs) Because if we have initiatives, for example, that are going to require, I don't know, a million dollars, and we don't have the million dollars sitting in cash reserves, are we going to get it to actually accomplish that? And as the CEO and the people who are raising the money, committed to doing that or is it just a nice idea mm-hmm. right a company is better off being a c player company and very profitable than trying to be an a player company and being you know I, i'm giving an example i i worked with a company with they were doing a billion dollars a year in sales and i looked at this and i'm like guys you're losing money every year they go no 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 i'm like you're losing money i i, I can see it And they go, but we're a billion dollar company. And I'm like, okay, but you're hemorrhaging at 30 million a year (laughs) from what I can see right now. And they go, well, it's a little higher than that. (laughs) (laughs) So depending on the goal of the company, right? It might be, I'm going to gain market share and try to sell. Like SaaS companies do this a lot of times. Right. They'll, they'll come out there, just try to get market share. Um, telecommunications companies used to do this all the time. It's like get customer, customer, customer. It doesn't really matter if we're profitable. We just got a client base and people will buy us out for a multiple. So it depends on what the, the exit strategy is or the, or the, the strategy of which they want to hold the company. Because we all think we're going to sell our companies, but sometimes the market dictates differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, one of the companies I was involved in, they told me, come on in, blaze a trail we're selling this company, your stock's going to be worth, you know, a hundred and something dollars a a share. Uh, Eight years later, they still hadn't sold the company. um, And their stocks went off at $13 a share. (laughs) Right. I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's, it's true. Right. I mean, so, you know, you come in and you have these expectations as a person who's, you know, and I was the number one sales representative out of 320 people in that company. So the, you know, I come in with this expectation, but it's not met. So if I'm coming in right up front, if I'm not asking, if the CEO and the leadership teams, and this is not all the time done, but many times I find in the executive team, this is where it is. The leadership is not there. They're not committed leaders. And so what ends up happening is they're, they're relaxing. So the rest of the organization starts to relax. Mm 
And so the questions they could ask themselves is truthfully, what do we want to accomplish? Are we able to do so? What resources do we need? Um, what budgets, including in the resource are needed? You know, what people are needed? And, and really build out a plan on how to get that alignment going within the organization because magical things happen. Uh, you know, I have a client right now uh, doing, they'll, I started with them three, four, five years ago now. And they were a $3 million company. And this year there'll be a, at least a $20 million company, right? And they went from having one employee <laughs> <laughs> to now having over 60. Wow. Nice. And, and, and the company runs like a, a wonderful, you know, high performance car. Uh, and the, the, the reviews from the clientele are amazing, right? And it's, it's, it's just creating this growth year over year over year, um, as well as they're doing the work to get there. So, but that was a company who got completely truthful. You know, they knocked off a division uh, when they got to the next level, they knocked off a division that was doing over a million dollars to focus on what they truly wanted to. Um, and in that first year, they added $2 million to the million that they would have lost. So they had another $3 million in growth just doing that. But they got truthful and committed. That's the other thing. Um, without that commitment from the CEO or from that executive team, it's very hard to push organizational growth. So if, the, if that's the person who's the owner of a company, <clears throat> I was just talking with a gentleman. He, uh, he owned a landscaping company. He's a very smart gentleman. Uh, he decided to go into the SaaS business. He had to learn the SaaS business. He's going to do 20 million this year. And when I talked to him, he's like, my goal is 40 million. And you can't pull him off of that, right? So he's committed and he's putting the resources and the time and the energy and everything into it. The reason that somebody has to be the executive sponsor is there's always going to be somebody who gets tired or just says, oh my gosh, you know, uh, I'm going to date myself, but years ago we had a cartoon called Gulliver's Travels and <clears throat> there was this character in there called Glum and Glum would be like, oh no, oh, this can't work. It's never going to work, you know, um, and you're always going to have some type of Glum pop up in an organization and that's where the executive sponsor has to say, I know this is where we're at. This is where we're going. There is no other option and keep driving it through the organization. So true. It is so true that, um, I mean, that's why we call it the leadership team or the leaders, right? They have to, I'm not sorry, pull, because you don't want to have to be like the struggle of pulling people along, but they have to, you know, forge the way. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's why they're leaders. And um, yeah, so just very good points that, that you're making here. Well, I think there's one other thing that you just brought up that was brilliant, right? They have to forge the way. They also have to then get out of the way of the people who actually want to forge the path with them. Mm -hmm. So leaders lead, managers manage. And a lot of times leaders get into management mode and that's what causes part of the challenge. They've got to be like when I run sales teams, um, I'm, I'm always at the top of the sales leaderboard. Right. Always. And why do I do this? Because I can't have a salesperson come to me and say, I can't do this because I can go back to them and say, well, 
I'm managing everything and I'm doing this. <laughs> right? That's how you lead. And, um, and especially in sales, because sales is a highly competitive environment anyways. Absolutely. I talked to a um, sales consultant, sales trainer, I remember years ago, and he said, salespeople are different animals. Like they're, they're not like, they're not like other people. <laughs> they are. Um, I love this uh, book. It's called sales dogs. I'm trying to remember who it's by. Um, I can't remember, but I love the book because he compares every breed of dog to a salesperson. So you have the you have the the pit bull who goes in there and just grabs a hold of things and shakes it, right? You have the the poodle who struts in in the you know the beautiful car and the fancy suit and all this, and you got the you know golden retriever who's the person who's just going to buddy up to you and stay with you no matter what. Uh, the chihuahua who's always going to you know be talking too much, you know that type of thing. So not, nothing against chihuahuas, but I mean this is the book. Um, sure. And um, I loved it when I read it because it was a really cool understanding of how different salespeople can actually be. That's funny. Whenever you talked about the, the Chihuahua and, and the Golden Retriever, I think his name is Ned from um, Groundhog Day immediately came to mind, you know, <laughs> the insurance sales. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phil, Phil. Phil Connors, is that you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yep, that's, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> that's the Chihuahua. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> so I, I can see the appeal of, of that book. Speaking of which, you have a book. Tell us a little bit about your book. I wrote a book. Uh, I'm coming out with a new one, but I wrote it. I wrote one in 2019. I actually wrote it earlier. Um, I've written three books and I never released them. Hmm. Um, and my now wife, uh, when we were dating, said to me, could I read your manuscript? And I said, sure. And she came back and she said to me, why'd you write this? This is really good. I said, well, I wanted to help people. And so she started asking me questions, you know, well, tell me about this. And I told her about this. Tell me about that. And then she asked me a question. Did you really write this book to help people? I said, yes. She goes, well, how are they going to get helped unless you release the book? <laughs> mm -hmm. Good point. And what I realized was she was using the things that I was teaching people in the book to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, this is a good gal. I'm going to marry her. Um, so if <laughs> she'll have me. And so I released the book in 2019 and uh, you know, it became a very, very well-received book. I mean, it was an international bestseller in four different countries uh, pretty quickly. Um, and I wrote, it's called win-win selling unlocking the power of profitability by resolving objections. And I, and I wrote it because I wanted to write it on one specific subject for, for people in sales. So, you know, generally the biggest challenge is how do I get qualified leads? The second challenge is how do I convert them, right? What, what's, what am I supposed to say? So I wrote a book around the psychology, the philosophy of communication, but I focused it on objections. And I focused it on that reason because most of the people, they have a challenge handling objections because they're trying, you know, they were taught to crush them. <laughs> really when it comes down to it and we, they were taught to crush them in childhood that's part of the challenge right because we learn from our mentors growing up and those are usually our caretakers and our caretakers are actually creating frames and things that we as children because as adults we're nothing more than ch children in a bigger body right we mm -hmm. still carry all the memories mm -hmm. and so we learn these patterns of behavior 
And so we, we carry patterns of behavior into a sales conversation and the buyers are bringing their, their communication patterns in and therein lies part of the challenge, right? Because let's say somebody grew up in a very uh, or competitive environment, right? Where they had to negotiate everything. And I've seen sales uh, people do this. They'll make the sale, but then they'll start renegotiating and lose the sale. Right, the sales closed because the buyer's like, "Yep, okay, great. You know, we're good to go." Well, <laughs> and they start renegotiating it, right? And so, why? Because they were rewarded in that environment growing up. So then, what happens? They start renegotiating it, and then the buyer puts up an objection based on the fact that the buyer grew up in a, an environment where decision is a decision is a decision, and that's it. Right. So therein lies the potential objection coming up, which generally will rear its head up and, and people will be like, OK, now I'm dealing with this. And before you know it, it's an emotional conversation instead of the business uh, at hand. And so these form very early in our childhood, you know, from grandpa to mom, dad, whoever, brother, teacher, mother, preacher, you know, everybody. Um, and we learn these things and we, we form beliefs around them. And that's, you know, what I go into the book, I go into the psychology, the philosophy and the practicality of resolving them in a win-win fashion. Nice. That sounds, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'll be very interested in, in checking into that more because that, you know, a lot of what we do is communication training in, not in the sales world, but in communication in general. And that's basically, it's what sales is. It's a, a type, a form of communication. So, um, so I like that. And now, now I'm thinking of, you know, how do you apply that? Cause there's, there could be objections in the workplace, not just sales, right? Like oh. you could even think everything is a sales conversation, right? Between manager and direct report, you know, it's a, you know, one person wants something and is trying to negotiate that from the other person. So with in, in our personal lives, in our <laughs> professional lives, I mean, this morning alone, I, I went down for breakfast and my wife asked me four questions within 30 seconds and I objected. <laughs> I, I, said, I said to her, I said, have you realized you just asked me four questions in under 30 seconds? Right. That was my objection. Yeah. So <laughs> because I felt overloaded with all the amount of questions, right? And, and so we worked through the objection. We resolved it in a win-win fashion. I felt better. She felt better. Everything worked out fine. But if we don't have, I'll call it formulas or formulaic processes on how to weave in and out of part of the sequence that happens in communication, then people get stuck. And that's where somebody says an objection to somebody in sales and they go, oh, uh, uh, and then they'll come back with trying to overcome it mm -hmm. because they, you know, internally they don't feel um, adequate or worthy or whatever it might be. Uh, and fear kicks up and then they start defending their point and the other person defends their point. And before you know it, we're now in a metaphorical, you know, verbal arm lock. And that's where sales go sideways. Mm -hmm. and, wor and worse yet, when that happens, we break rapport. And when we break rapport, people don't trust us as much. They don't like us as much. They don't respect us as much. Um, and that's, you know, everybody wants to do business with somebody they feel safe with. Exactly. The no like and trust factor. Absolutely. Uh, so Doug, 
I've been trying to figure out how to frame this, this, this getting close to my final question. If you could leave the listeners with, you know, a number one takeaway from, uh, it doesn't even have to be this conversation. It could just be what you've learned, you know, throughout your experience. What's the number one takeaway you'd like people to leave with? Become a nomad. It's easier than business. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, a lot of people ask me a question in regards to sales. So I'm going to answer it in the context of sales, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, With what's happened in the world, whether it's the pandemic or the economic situation or you know, housing prices are going insane, whatever it is right now, right? There's always something going on. But anyone I've ever given this advice to who's taken this advice has always grown because most people aren't doing enough activity on the prospecting side. So they think they are, but they're not doing it either effectively or efficiently. So in 2021, my advice to anyone would be massive prospecting. Go find six new ways in 2021 that you can drive clients into your business. Now, not all six will work, you know, optimally. Some might even fall on their face, but if you have two fall on their face, two are barn burners and two work good, you have four really great ways to to, to continue to keep driving business that you didn't have in the past. And you don't, uh, the client doesn't, you know, the person doesn't have to do it all at one time. They can spread it out over six, eight, 10 months, whatever. Just put one new method in every other month and watch what happens to your business at the end of the year. Because what will end up happening is this, the cumulative effect. As long as these, mar- uh, these methods of prospecting or marketing are, are generating leads, then what generally happens is the person's numbers magically go up. But most people are not. I mean, most people have one to three ways of generating business. And then what happens if one of those dries up? Like, you know, COVID-19 hit, bam, right? Face-to-face meetings dropped. Uh, People are working from home. Uh, Companies are pulling back. You can't get in through customer service anymore. It takes, you know, uh, I was online, Geico, if you hear this, I was online with you for 40 minutes before you picked up the phone last night. (laughs) (laughs) Not that 15 minutes or, you know, not that 15 minutes. No. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I I brought it up to the the representative because uh, people like myself, when we get impeded like that, we just start saying, okay, well, maybe there's Allstate, you know, put me in the good hands or there's Liberty Mutual or whatever it might be. Right. We start going there and that's what we don't want to have happen in our companies. So when we're constantly prospecting, the other thing that happens is we open up new opportunities that we never thought were possible. Um, And so what ends up happening is not only do you get more leads and then you wanna qualify them, but you generally end up with more opportunities of a, a nature of the expansion of the process and you find maybe new markets or new products or new services or something like that. Yeah, it's the, I know. Uh, for for the the more metaphysical you know part of our audience you know it's the law of attraction right like like attracts like birds of a feather flock together and and also that whole what you focus on expands so right. if you're if if even if you're being 
creative and, and brainstorming and saying, all right, what, what are six new methods I can do in prospecting again in the sales realm, but what if it could be in, in other realms? And then if you're thinking that way, what are, what are new methods and bringing in new leads? And then all of a sudden, gee, they start coming, but it's because, you know, it's like, have you noticed any, you know, yellow VW, you know, bugs driving down the street? And then all of a sudden, well, oh my gosh, she said that on the podcast. And then I just saw one. Uh-huh. Right. Because right. now it's, you know, front, front and center. Yeah. The filters are off and, uh, you know, we don't have scotomic uh, <laughs> things that are happening. And I also, you know, you brought up a couple of great universal laws. I think another one is the law of, you know, cause and effect, right? If we do something, we will get an effect out of it. So if we are effectively doing something that's positive to drive business toward our own business, then the, uh, you know, we cause that the effect will be that we'll have more qualified quality people coming to us. And that's what we're really looking for because those people who are more qualified and more qualified for what we're offering, guess what? They have friends and coworkers and things that also are going to be looking for that. And that's when, you know, you know, you get a bunch of referrals and they close at 70, 80, 90%, right? And um, that's a good month for, for a salesperson when they can close an extra five or 10 sales just from referrals. It's a good month for the company too, because they're not paying out for marketing cost mm-hmm. and the client acquisition cost is lower. So therefore the profitability is higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Doug, tell people where they can find out more about you and your book. Uh, well, the book they can get at winwinsellingbook.com. I tried to make this easy. <laughs> um, they can get me at businesssuccessfactors.com. That's the website. Um, my LinkedIn profile is Doug Brown one two three four. On LinkedIn, a lot of people touch base with me LinkedIn, or you know they can they can email me at Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com, or simply call us at 603-595-0303. Fantastic. Doug, it has been a delight having you on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, Really looking forward to continuing to connect and following more of your success. So thank you again for being on the show. You're welcome, Dawn. And I really appreciate you having me here. You're a great interviewer. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And uh, for the listeners out there, don't forget to check out Doug at all the various methods he mentioned. And until next time, may you thrive.